0: I believe that becoming a better man means being more reliable and more supportive in relationships. Whether that be with friends, family or partners, human connection is important for all of us. So I've designed a test that will help you improve yourself and your relationships. There's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. For now, enjoy listening.
1: The blessing that he gave me was I now knew everything I shouldn't do to be a good parent, because I'm going to do the total opposite of everything he did. I'm going to listen more. I'm going to be there.
0: Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. today's episode is about the legacy of anger and violence that we can sometimes carry with us from childhood, and how one man is breaking the cycle with his own kids. Emmanuel is the youngest of six. He has five older sisters, and they were brought up in a traditional Nigerian household in London. Emmanuel's parents were together, but his father was hardly ever around. Early on, he missed his dad and wondered why he wasn't there. He'd get excited about his dad coming home, but later on, that excitement turned to fear.
1: There was one night my dad woke up everybody in the house made all of us get up and come down to the kitchen. And this must have been one in the morning. because my sisters that woke me up actually. He'd wake up like one of you and then command that person to wake up everyone and then tell everyone to come down the stairs. So a lot of rustling, a lot of whispering to everyone, wake up, come down the stairs. And we all sort of hurried, hurried down the stairs, tired, disorientated, didn't know what was going on. And then he said, somebody has left a cup in the sink. And that was it, it was a cup. And I just remember thinking, so? Like, it's a cup. I was so confused. And he was like, who's left the cup here? I hadn't left the cup there. So I've got nothing to say, but no one's saying anything. It took me a minute to realize none of my sisters said anything. And I feel like it's because they knew what was going to happen. They were all older than me. But no one said anything. And he asked again, who's left the cup in the sink? And still no one said anything. And then he went to the drawer, and he took out a wooden spoon, and he made everyone hold out their hands. And he started with my sister at the far end of the queue. I remember him saying to her, did you leave the cup in the sink? And she said no. And he hit her anyway, hit her on the hand. And it was on the open palm of the hand, and it was stung. And he would make you turn your hand over, and he'd get, you on, he'd get you on the veins. And it was shock because she said she didn't. And that didn't make sense to me. Why are you hitting her if she's just told you she didn't do it? And at that point, I knew that I hadn't left the cup of the sink, but I also knew that he was going to hit everyone anyway. So before he had a chance to move on, I stepped forward and said, I did it. I didn't, but I knew he was, if I say it now, then he'll stop hitting everyone else. And that dude went to town, up and down my legs. Literally, he broke the wooden spoon on my leg and went and got another one. And it was like sort of running around in a circle, trying not to be hit. But he, was, he, he just went to town all up and down my legs, on my back, on my arms, anywhere he could get a clean shot. I just remember him grabbing my arm and then just hit him. And it became a bit of a blur at that point because I couldn't tell you how much he hit me. The only reason I know where he hit me is because when I was like I couldn't sleep that night because I had actual welts on my leg from how hard, like, like you've been burned like how hard he'd been hitting me all over he ended like nothing had happened like it was now you know not to leave a cup in the sink he'd done his job and i just remember crying myself to sleep i was thinking this guy he's meant to be my dad and dad lo- dads love their children you don't do this to somebody that you love
0: Do you remember after that situation when you were eight, can you remember how long he stuck around before he he went off?
1: It was so sporadic that it could have been weeks, could have been months, it was never years. I don't remember it ever being years. I remember him being away for years. That's the thing, My my dad died. I couldn't tell you when. Because I got so used to him not being there, that in my mind he was dead already. And then he came back the last time I remember him coming back, I want to say I was maybe twenty one and i didn't I didn't handle that very well at all I didn't know how because I just got used to him being not there, so in my mind he was dead, and all of a sudden he's back, and then we all went we all went back to our house to see him, and I kind of just broke down and then he sort of got to hug me like we saw we saw each other yesterday, and i I lost my shit. And the bit, because I used to smoke quite heavily. And the bit that made me sort of really turn is he tried to speak to me and I just went outside for a cigarette. And he was like, oh, don't smoke. Smoke is bad for you. I was like, now you want to give me advice? I was like, I will eat this. I'll eat the whole pack just for the sake of doing it now. So you don't get to come back and tell me that smoke is bad. Where were you to tell me that when I started when I was 14? All the things that you missed, and now you want to come back and start giving me parental advice,
0: even though this is obviously a tough period in your life, I think we English guys can almost bring comedy out of a difficult topic or a difficult situation, so Oh, do you know what because now it's not, now it's not tough anymore yeah that's the thing now
1: it isn't tough because i've I've processed it, I've dealt with it it's and and I think the the positives that it gave me because when we when we go back to the question of what does it mean for you to be a man, I never had that question because I grew up with all women. So my thing was, what does it mean for you to be an adult? What does it mean for you to be a parent? Because even now, I think about when people say to me, "What do you think it means to be a man?" I was like, "Well, that depends on the man." For me, I never think, what does it mean to be a man? I think, what does it mean to be a parent? It just happens to be that my role as a parent is a father.
0: So the gender thing is not a big thing for you? Not really, I don't
1: really care. All the things that I think a man should be are actually the things that I think a parent should be that does my role. The role that I play is father in this house. So for example, when we had our first, I went back to work. She didn't, and the only reason that that was the decision is because I earned more than her. I'd have quite happily been the stay-at-home parent. That's actually really hard because there's so many things that I have missed just because I'm at work. But that's the role that you take, and for me, that was, I I feel it was it's my responsibility to look after my household and that's what it is for me to be a parent and that's financially that's emotionally that's physically those to me are the three pillars if all those three three things are in good places that model is easier to sustain i look at everything in the model of of a triangle and i do that with everything so even just life generally i go friends family work if any one of those is off that
0: triangle while it can't be balanced. I find it interesting that you're breaking down misconceptions about about masculinity and the, the idea of the fact that you're happy to be a stay-at-home dad because people could look at you and they see this huge guy, masculine guy, alpha male, whatever you want to call it, and they, they might have a particular idea about the way you are. Maybe it's a patriarchal family, Nigerian background, so on and so forth, but you're breaking down those those stereotypes. It's cause I think more
1: than I ever used to. And that's the thing growing up. I grew up angry about everything that anger. I would never speak about, and I, I say it to people now, you can only fill up a cup until it's full. Then whether you, it could be the nicest cup, it's going to spill and then anything that's around it is going to get affected. And that's what would happen. I wouldn't talk about anything and then Somebody could say something that just sets me off and we're fighting because that was the era that we grew up in. It was, if you, if you were having an argument with someone, if you didn't agree, you went outside, you had a fight. Very, very simple. And in some ways, I do think it's better because there was never gang fights. There was never group fighting. If me and you don't agree on something, we're either going to let it go or we're going to go outside and have a fight. Either way, it's done after that. And there was no repercussions. It wasn't you're gonna come back with 10 of your friends, and then I come back with 10 of my friends. There was none of that. You had a fight, you won, you lost. Simple. And there was times when that would have been warranted. But there were times where, out of just sheer anger, somebody would say something to me, and I'd bypass all of that and I would just lose my mind. I'd see red. And there's times I don't really remember exactly what's happened. You just sort of blink and there's someone lying on the ground. What are those triggers for you and where do they come from? Is it stuff with your dad? Surprisingly not. It was just, it could be anything. I just might not be in the mood that day. It might be, it'd be things like I could have been having a conversation or seeing pictures of my dad or it could be just life around you. The frustration of not having things that I saw other people had. The frustration of working hard and not getting anything for it. The the frustration of no having no one really there to make any sort of direction. And then someone would say something stupid. I remember someone said something about my mum, maybe thirteen, fourteen. And it was the kind of stupid shit that that boys will say to each other, Ah, uh, your mum. But that was enough. On that day specifically, for me to lose my lose my mind. And then as you get older, that sort of lifestyle isn't sustainable. And then you realize that you actually can really hurt people. And then as we got older, we started doing more things like, um, like boxing, for example. And then as I got to my late teens, early 20s, I'm doing door work. And I'm getting bigger physically. I wasn't always the size. The more that I realized that I could do, the less I wanted to do it. Like when I was sort of younger, any argument on the front of that nightclub ended in a fight, and it would probably end with me knocking someone out. And it's all very well and cool. It's considered cool. Oh, yeah, man, you're not that geezer out of one punch. You're the one not to mess with. You're getting that respect from. The peers of that area. You're now what's considered a face in your local area. And then I remember, and annoyingly, this was probably one of the times where it was actually warranted. I was working at a club, and we'd we'd thrown this guy out. We actually threw him out nicely. He was he was drunk. We walked him out. We sat him down on the wall. He'd tried. He'd been arguing. I was like, look. And the night, I think we had like 15 minutes left of the club, so I was like, just. And I said to him, very calmly, just, just sit here. Your friends are going to be out in a minute, and then the, the club's over. Everything you're doing right now is pointless. He's too drunk to hear it. He wants to fight. I turn around to walk back into the club. He picks up a pole that was on the floor and cracks me back of the back of the head with it. And I tell you what, oh, that, it, it hurt like it sent me flying forward. And it, yeah, it's like you you turn around, and you're thinking, what the hell was that? And then I see him charging towards me with the pole to hit me again. So I hit him first. I punched I punched that guy okay, straight to the face. But the problem was, I didn't hit him. I didn't hit him necessarily hard. I hit him right. It connected at the perfect spot, and this guy was out cold before he hit the floor. And he hit the floor hard and I'm seeing and he's on the floor now and he's not moving. He's literally, his eyes are open, he's not moving. And I'm seeing his right eye just swell up and close as he's on the floor. And in my mind, I, I thought, I've killed him. And at that point, forget near death, at that point, your, your life flashes. Because I'm watching that, but in my head I'm going, right, you're about to get nicked. I know that that's going to be a GBH charge, and if you have killed him, that's going to—you'll go down to the manslaughter, and that's—you're looking at at least eight years for what, fifteen pound an hour, and all the other dogs were like, "You need to leave," and I was like, "I can't leave until he moves." I was—I've never been so scared in my entire life because that's life changing. When he like sort of came to and blinked, that's the most relieved I've ever felt. It was, it was horrible. Like even, even that night, I, a friend of mine, um, who was a police officer, I got home, I got him on the phone straight away. I was like, look, this is what's happened. Like, what do I do? What do I say? And I explained to him everything that happened. He was like, if I was you just go down to the police, cause at this point, they definitely have your name. Just go down to whatever the police station is. That was local and answer the questions exactly what you said to me because what you've done does fall in the line of reasonable force. Because he's he's hit you once and then he's charged you with a pole. And all of this is on CCTV as well. Um, and quite luckily, well it turned out the guy went to the police and lied. He told them that i dragged him down a flight of stairs, kicked the shit out of him, then threw him through a set of double doors and then beat him up with a pole. And as soon as they said that, I was like, well I've got nothing left to say because his injuries don't match what you've just told me. And I was like, all of this is on camera. So this conversation now, it was, was completely pointless. And it took a while, but then it all got it all got dropped. They had all the evidence to see what he'd actually done. But at that point, if he had, and that's the thing, he could have fallen slightly differently and died. Mm. Then none of that evidence would have mattered.
0: We'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show. Scary. Did you ever see that viral video of Julius Francis who fought Mike Tyson back in the early 2000s? Yeah. And he he just one-bombed this guy, just knocked him out cold. It reminded me that, I get really worried now at the thought of punching someone and then falling awkwardly and, and dying, rather than the fear of actually being punched myself. Because I've I've been involved in a couple of situations. I'm from Wigan, so I remember being in a nightclub in Wigan and I remember speaking to this girl and in my peripheral vision, I just saw this guy walking towards me and he, he had his hands up ready to punch me. So I punched him twice in the face. And at that point, I'm worried that the bouncers are going to kick the shit out of me so I said to my mate come on we better get out here pretty sharpish so we got out of there but I was about 21 22 at the time but now I'd be trying whatever I can to avoid a physical confrontation happening because like you say you know you can just get sent down for that stuff and your life's over
1: I don't go to clubs anymore I can't be in a nightclub I only see the bad now I'm always on guard I'll go to a nice bar I can sit down have a drink I don't do clubs. So the way we were actually brought up, if you like, was if you can walk away from a fight, walk away. Do whatever you can to walk away from that fight. But if someone puts you in a position where you can't, then lay them out. If anyone hears of me punching anyone, <laughs> then they deserved it because that's a very much a last, a last resort. And even now, I I remember arguments that I've had over the last five years where I've said to people like, I'm walking away. I'm thinking, I'm gonna walk away for your
0: benefit, not for mine. Mm -hmm. Because I know exactly how this is gonna end. There's a lot of power in that, isn't there? You've not allowed your emotions to override your logic. Because some people might think if I walk away, then that other person will think I'm a coward. And it's definitely not like that.
1: I'm never gonna see him again, I don't really care. I I remember there was once we were in, um, Prague for a stag do and there was like I want to say maybe 15 of us
0: there's a recipe for disaster all over this
1: yeah we're older now we're there for a good time having a drink and we're in this one bar keeping ourselves to ourselves as well there was another stag do in there and their stag like we got like we got them involved with us as well so right now all of us are having fun and then the other stag, that, that guy's best man, Johnny Big Bollocks, has come over, and now he's the king of the party. So he wants to do the drinking challenge. So there then we've done it. And then he, But he starts getting more and more aggressive because we're, we're playing sort of very much rugby drinking, and there was like bets going on. So one of the bets was if you can't neck that pint in five seconds, I'll get to rip your pants off. And we did that. We did that to each other. And then this guy, um, he came over and he was just—he just started. You could just feel that his tone is becoming more and more aggressive, to the point where I was just like, "I'm done with this dude," because I can see where this is going. And then he's coming up to me. He's like, "Let's arm wrestle." I was like, "I don't want to arm wrestle." He goes, "Let's arm wrestle for a pint." I was like, "No, I'll tell you what. You've won the arm wrestle. Let me buy you a drink." I was like, I'm not going to get angry at this because I know what you want. You, you want, it's like, and that's the thing you'll get from being this sort of size. People want to prove themselves. And when you've got nothing to prove, they will just keep going and going and going. And I was just like, there's no point in this argument. I was like, look, let's get you a drink, have the drink, and then we're done. Because he was like, you've drunk my drink in your drinking game. I said, that's fine, I'll get you a drink. And I bought him a pint. I went, there you go. And, And, he just, there was nothing left for him to get angry about. And then it was that. I was like, and I said to him, I was like, let's just go to the next place.
0: So you've just removed everything that he could possibly have against you. You know, in terms of like a challenge, you're just removing all these things. So actually diffusing the situation, essentially. Would a 21-year-old Emmanuel have said the same things? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. Yeah.
1: Oh. And that's the thing. I know that 21-year-old Emmanuel would have grabbed him and thrown him through the first thing he could have, whether it was a door, stairs, doesn't matter. I would have felt
0: threatened and I would have lashed out first. What is it about men issuing challenges to each other? What is that, why is it, I'm gonna go and find the biggest guy in this group and I'm going to prove myself in some way, whether it's an arm wrestle, whether it's a drinking game, whether it's women related, what, what is it as men? that we have to do that. I don't know, but we, we do it with a lot of stuff. Think of how many Olympic
1: sports are based on it. I can run faster than you. I can jump higher than you. I can throw this further than you. There's something about blood sports as well. Like we've still got boxing, MMA. And like I don't even like to watch MMA. I'm like, ground and pound someone. That part has never sat well with me because again, the rules we were like, if someone's on the ground, You left them. You don't. You don't punch someone when on the ground. I don't like watching MMA. Rugby. I love playing rugby, and one of the things I love about playing rugby is it's controlled aggression. You get all of your anger out on the field. But rugby, as well, comes down a lot of the time to who wants it more. How hard are you willing to fight to get that? To get that goal. And I, I, I don't know what it is about that competition. Or feeling like you've got something you need to prove. And that's something I'll be honest with that I do, I will struggle with because I have to constantly tell myself of things that you don't have anything to prove.
0: Controlled aggression is an interesting one because it seems like you've really evolved over time where you were, you know, you told the story about being a bouncer and, you know, other physical altercations you've been in. It's not controlled, is it? You're just reacting in that moment. Whereas now, you're putting your logic first and you're able to really, like you say, control that situation and it's not just lashing out at someone, it's really thinking about the situation at hand.
1: Even when we finished being bouncers, so the last club that I worked at, even then, it was still controlled aggression. I never lost my temper, I didn't have to. Punching someone is one thing. Knowing that you can be punched is a lot scarier. So, if I hit you, you're now going to get really angry. If I put you in, a, in an arm lock where you think my wrist is about to be snapped, all of a sudden, you're compliant because there's that risk of vulnerability that right now there's nothing you can do about this. And it's that kind of that side of it where you become a lot more effective. They so don't have to punch you in the face for you to do what I need you to do. I, I can walk you out of a nightclub. Or I could just talk you down. Because a lot of the time, when people are angry in nightclubs, they just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. They just want to
0: vent out while they're angry, and then you let them. Just a catharsis thing for them. Yeah. You've talked a lot about anger in this conversation today. And I want to go back to your dad. Is there any situations that you have now or you had in early adulthood where that anger was related to what happened to you as a child with your dad?
1: Partly, but another thing that I've, I've really had to deal with is the one thing that I used to hate people saying to me is you look just like your dad. You are just like your dad. And I used to hate it because it's true. I have the same short temper than he did. We've got this, a lot of the mentality like build, look, attitude is I am my father's son. I am very authoritative. And again, the older I get, there's a lot of that sort of my Nigerian heritage that plays a big part of my character. But the nice thing is because I know all of that, I'm now not that. The blessing that he gave me was I now knew everything I shouldn't do to be a good parent, because I'm going to do the total opposite of everything he did. I'm going to listen more. I'm going to be there. It's not so much telling you what to do. It's the question of giving you that lesson and then letting you decide and being there for the consequence. And that's the biggest thing that I've, I've shown my kids, is that you have to live with consequences. I think a very important thing is learning how to deal with emotions and owning your emotions. So I I find a lot of power in saying things out loud, like 20 years ago, you and I are not ever having this conversation because we just wouldn't, I don't know you. I'm not going to talk this openly to anyone about any of this because it's none of your business. Whereas now I know that there are plenty of other people who do have a lot of anger-related issues, and a lot of the time, you're not angry. This is another thing. So, especially doing comedy, and I'm a competitive person. I'll give you an example. So this year, when they were filming Live at the Apollo, I found myself getting really jealous that I wasn't on that lineup, even though I've already done it, Which which is completely illogical. You've done it. You've already done it. But in my mind... I'm, and I had to sit there and say out loud, I'm jealous. And it forces me to go, why? What are you jealous of? Because you've done it. And the more I thought about it, it felt like because this is the new season, I felt like old news. I felt like because I'm not on it this season, I'm not going to be relevant anymore. And I go right. That's how you finish. So what are you going to do about it? Because you can sit here and moan about it, or you can do something about it. That's your choice. So I chose to get up, and, and literally I got on the phone to my agent. What have we got coming up? How? What can we do next? Go. Let's go through my diary. Who are we going to? These are the shows want to do. Let's plan how to do it. And we started doing that. And since then, I've, I've done a few TV shows. And it's. But I found the big strength is understanding, like. Even if right, I'm angry, what am I angry about? Why is it affecting me this way? And what am I going to do about it? How angry am I? So sometimes I'm like, I need to go to the gym with my, with my boxing gloves and just punch it out because it might be just a few things w- that are all on top of me. And I need, I need, I need, sometimes I just need to go for a walk. But a lot of the times, what I need to do is remove myself from that situation and calm down. Because anger is a human emotion; it's going to happen. So, my all of my kids play rugby, and Noah's got to the age where he now he now tackles. It's it's physical now. And there was one game where this kid kept pushing him, and he was just being a This kid was being a horrible little prick. Um, I wish I knew his name so I could say it out loud on this for you. Um, I, I didn't like this kid. I wanted to hit this kid. And he just pushed it too far. And Noah went to lose his temper. And I quickly grabbed him and said, like, right, cal- I went, calm down. I went, just look at me and calm down. Take a breath. And he was really, it's like, yeah, but he keeps doing this. I was like, that's fine. He's doing that because that's what he knows. You know better than that. Put it in the game. If you want to tackle him, then tackle him but don't be angry because then both of you will get hurt. And he just calmed down. But the next time that kid got the ball, one took him out and it was a completely clean tackle. And what I liked, he, he didn't gloat about it. He, he just tackled him, stood up because the been passed off, helped the kid up and gave him back his, uh, gave him back his tags. I, I think what it means to me to be a good parent is to set that example. That they can live from and do better at. I think the best thing you can give your kids is time. I want them to be able to grow up, and be self-sufficient, and to. Do, I want them to have choices. That's why I, I'm really big on education. Only so you have, because I think the more, the more you know, the more choices you're going to have later on in life.
0: Did your dad give you the things that you're giving your kids now? Absolutely not. <laughs>
1: There's, I've got none of this from him. I've pieced this together from making mistakes, from seeing my friend's dads and how they were with them. I've pieced it together from having conversations with, with my mum. There's these, these are where all of these things have, have, have come from. But it, it has been, it has been putting together that jigsaw to finally get a, p- a picture that I'm happy
0: with. What would you say to yourself at the age of eight years old when you dealt with that situation with your father in the kitchen?
1: You're going to be okay. That has been one of the best things I could ever, I've ever been able to tell myself. You're going to be okay. Stand up. Getting knocked down isn't always a choice. Isn't really ever a choice. Standing up is. And there's so much to learn from that because it's very easy to get knocked down and stay there it's much harder to get up and keep going even with my kids when they fall over when they were much smaller now they'd fall over and your instinct is to pick them up if it's really bad then you obviously you're going to go over but if it's not i'd go to them but i wouldn't pick them up i want them to know from this age that I'm here to support you, but you can get up. And once you've got up, I used to get my boy to do it. We got, oh, Chloe did it last week. She fell over. And I got to stand up. I was like, just say, I'm going to be okay. And she heard blubbering eyes. Okay. And she finally got it out. I'm going to be okay. And the moment she got it out, she was fine. She wiped her face and went straight back to playing. And th- those are the kind of things that I want them to be able to do. Because I'm not always going to be there. So I need to give them as much of the good side of me, as I can.
0: Just like Emmanuel, I have sisters and I'm very protective of them. But the staggering level of maturity he showed in protecting his sisters at such a tender age is just awe-inspiring. The way he was able to put himself forward to his father to take the punishment when he didn't even do it. Through this story and conversation with Emmanuel, It's made me realize that we can always learn something from our parents, whether it's good or bad. It's great that Emmanuel was able to process the negative experiences that he had as a child and use them in an emotionally healthy way. And he's turned them into positive traits that he's using for his own parenting style now. It's made me think how I am with my brother. There's probably 16 years age gap between us. Whenever my parents shouted at him, when he was very young, I always did the opposite because I wanted to give him a different perspective. Now, I'm not blaming my parents for the way that they were with him and with us. Shouting was just part of the culture, it seemed, where we lived. But I wanted to do the opposite. I didn't want him to be run by fear or to operate with fear. I remember once he must have been about seven or eight years old and he smashed a glass in the kitchen and he was immediately frightened because he was scared that my mother was going to come into the kitchen and reprimand him. I immediately kept the situation very calm didn't shout at him and said don't worry we'll do this together we'll clean it she'll never find out and that gave him a different perspective I think. 20 years ago smacking children was the norm. In the area that I'm from anyway it was well known. and I think it's good that attitudes around this have changed dramatically. When I was a child it was very normal for me to get belted by my father or smacked. This was just a done thing. My grandfather did it to my father and so on he did it with me. It just felt like the norm. So at the time, in the 90s particularly, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And I've asked myself over the years as I've processed it, did it do me any harm? I can't honestly say that it's affected me negatively since. I'm sure it's had a negative impact on some other people. And it makes me think, do children deserve the same protection from violence as adults do? Of course, for me, that would be a yes. I love the examples that Emmanuel used in the story about being constantly challenged by other guys. He dealt with this with such power and strength. And I think this is what controlled aggression is like, and now he's able to pass that mentality onto his own children, which is the complete opposite of the way his father was, because when his father was angry, when he was aggressive, he just lashed out, and that is not controlled at all. I think about times when I've been challenged over the years by guys, whether it's drinking a full pint of beer, or it's some other kind of pursuit. I immediately just accept, and I want to go for the challenge, I suppose I don't want to appear to other people like I've chickened out, that I don't have the guts or the strength to do this, but I don't think that's necessarily the right answer in all instances. In Emmanuel's case, he showed a lot of strength responding the way he did, and he doesn't come across as a coward or anything like that. So I think that's a really good alternative. Before you go, I need to tell you about our man test. Because as men, we can struggle to forge strong relationships, often by being bad communicators. I've definitely been there. This podcast is about helping you better understand who you are as a man to become the best version of yourself. And the team and I have designed a simple quiz for you to discover more about your identity as a modern man. It takes less than three minutes to complete, and it's going to help you establish better relationships and form stronger connections. Whether that's with your partner, friends or co-workers, The man quiz is going to help you become more trustworthy, reliable, and dependable in all your relationships. Find the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.